Victims of trauma have a very false reality of themselves and they don't even know themselves because they were invisible. They don't trust their emotion, emotions, so they don't even know what they want. And that's why they're very vulnerable to being with toxic people. Um, they can't really access what their true feelings are. And the reason being is, is if you're invisible to, due to neglect or abuse or unavailable parenting, then it was no one to acknowledge you. So you learned at a very early age, feelings didn't count because you were not heard, you were not validated and you became very other focused and you were always looking for that validation that you never got. This is episode number 501 with Sherry Geba, codependency, love addiction, and toxic relationships. Hi everybody, I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And if you want support on your journey to lasting love, I wrote a book, it's called Becoming a Woman of Value, how to thrive in life and love. And it's filled with 30 stories, tips, exercises, all designed to help you step more fully into your value. You can find it on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. And this week's tip from the book is step number one, love yourself first. And that's a concept that's very misunderstood. I believe that we go like, how would you mean love yourself first before you love somebody else? But the truth is that we really have to practice self-compassion, self-kindness, and not make it about somebody else defining our worth, which we are going to probably go into great detail about today in our episode. So my challenge to you is to give yourself some more love, to look at all the places where you've relied on other people to make you feel your worth and really look at what are some of the things that you're proud of that you've accomplished and the things that you love about yourself. And if you're confused about that, ask your best friend. They always know. And before I bring Sherry on, I just want to invite you to my Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And we are a heavily curated, moderated group for women over 40 who are looking to go on their last first date. This is a place for positive support, not a place to come and be a victim. If you want real support and you really want to grow, Come and join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Sherry Geba. She is a psychotherapist and a life coach who specializes in trauma, codependency, love addiction, and toxic relationships. She is the author of the best-selling book, Love Smacked, How to Stop the Cycle of Relationship Addiction and Codependency to Find Everlasting Love. And she's the go-to expert on VH1 Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew Pinsky. She is the host of a podcast called the Love Fix Podcast. And she has a huge social media following on Instagram with over 75,000 followers at Codependency Curious. Welcome to the show, Sherry. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love the name of your podcast. It's so great. It's oh, thank fun. you. Well, I love what you do, and I'm honored to have you here talking about this important topic. So let's let's begin with just defining what love addiction is. So one thing I first want to say is that I really 
respect. You're a coach. I'm a therapist. And I love that we can collaborate like this. I think that there's such a great place for what we both do in the world. And, and that really means a lot to me, um, a lot. Um, so love addiction is, we call it a process addiction. It could be, a, some call it a lifestyle addiction, a soft addiction. So when you think of things like gaming and internet and exercise and shopping and overspending and debting, those are all process addictions. And like a substance abuse addiction, like drugs or alcohol, so for someone who's a love addict, sometimes they can be called a romance addict or a relationship addict. Love is their only identity. And for them, just like a drug, drug addict, when a breakup occurs, there's this withdrawal phase. And so they're, they're just longing for that attachment and all those pleasurable feelings that they're missing from that, lo that lost relationship. Um, for some that are uh, familiar with attachment styles, they almost have like an anxious attachment style. Um, they have a lot of codependency traits. They overadapt to what others want because they don't want to be alone at any cost. They, you know, the idea of being alone is debilitating to them. So they do what, whatever they think the other person wants. They have no boundaries. They have a excruciatingly, um, just a huge fear of letting go, a fear of the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen next. They try to change others, which is also a codependent trait. And then they need others to feel whole. So their whole their whole aspect of their life is about someone else filling their bucket, you know, not themselves, uh, like what you had talked about in the beginning of your podcast. Um, they look for others for affirmation and validation. Um, my issue, and that's why I'm a recovered love addict and codependent, was they fear abandonment. Um, and again, they have withdrawal symptoms and they just essentially give up who they are out of the fear they might lose someone's approval, they might lose someone's love, somebody won't want them, um, they're people pleasers, they have, there's a lot of overlap with codependency when it comes to love addiction. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there are a lot of people that I had in my practice who've had codependency but aren't love addicts, they have the fear of abandonment, they have an anxious attachment style. Uh, they really are afraid of being alone. And I remember I interviewed a woman a couple of years ago who had been married, I think, eight or nine times. Mm -hmm. She remembered having a boyfriend from the time she was in kindergarten. And oh, wow. it, it was it was really pretty severe, this whole need of like need to belong, need to be with somebody. And it took her until her final marriage with a man who had a family, had a full life, had so much going on. And he finally said to her, you need to get a life. He said, I, you know, you have no hobbies, you have nothing outside of our relationship. And I need you to do that in order to stay together. And it hurt in the beginning, but it woke her up to what was missing in her life. And that was the beginning of her really becoming independent enough to have an interdependent and not codependent relationship. Exactly. Yeah. It took me until my fifties before I was able to finally be on my own. And what I realized a lot of it had to do with um, trauma, early trauma. And one of the things I always say to my, to, to my listeners, to, when I'm on podcasts, my own podcast, the love fix is there's no shame or blame. There are reasons that you had multiple relationships. There's reasons I had multiple marriages, but don't shame yourself. You know, there's something that might've happened in your life that brought you to this place. And if you'd like, I can talk about trauma a little bit. Well, yeah. You don't perceive what you need as a child, your emotional growth is stunted. So if you were neglected or abused or had emotionally unavailable parents 
or maybe you became a little adult or a parentified child. This sets you up to have very difficult adult relationships. Um, victims of trauma have a very false reality of themselves and they don't even know themselves because they were invisible. They don't trust their emotion, emotions, so they don't even know what they want. And that's why they're very vulnerable to being with toxic people. Um, they can't really access what their true feelings are. And the reason being is, is if you're invisible to, due to neglect or abuse or unavailable parenting, then it was no one didn't acknowledge you. So you learned at a very early age, feelings didn't count because you were not heard, you were not validated, and you became very other focused and you were always looking for that validation that you never got. Um, you learned to focus on everything else around you rather than your own needs, which, which is really at the foundation of discovering who you really are. And if you don't have an intimate connection or, or an intimate relationship with yourself, you're gonna have a toxic relationship with yourself and you're probably gonna attract a toxic people. So it's very difficult to have an intimate relationship with another person when you're not connected to yourself. And that's um, my early trauma was I was premature. I was in an incubator. When I was born in those days, they were afraid to have my mother touch me because she might pass on germs. So I was in an incubator for two and a half months. Um, I had no um, uh, bottle, no sucking response. I was fed through my feet. Nobody, no one really held me most likely because they were just changing my feeding tube in my feet. So from the get-go, I had, you know, need, needed to be loved, needed someone to pick me up, needing, needed someone to notice me. You know, um, it was like I was, <laughs> don't take this the wrong way, but it was like I was looking for the proverbial boob, you know, like just, just, just not just, you know, can I suck on you? And that's literally kind of what happened in my relationships. I was just, I was just sucking the life out of people because I, I just didn't want to be alone. I wanted someone to be there for me. So I, I tell the story because there are people out there that don't even realize that being premature and not getting that early bonding, that early attachment can really, can really affect you. Um, so yeah. Yeah, there's many types of childhood trauma, though. There can be covert, overt, passive aggressive, invisible, apparent, innocuous. You could have had parents, like I said, there were addicts, alcoholics. You might have had, um, you know, parents that were abusive. God forbid you were, you were molested. I mean, there's just different types of trauma, but it all leaves you in that same state of wanting to be loved, you know, and, and having all of your needs not taken care of you know, in your adult relationships, that's really going to affect you and who you pick and who you choose. But if you grow up in a healthy home, you know, a home that's nurturing and validating and they acknowledge you, then you trust your outer world and then you can trust yourself. You know, your internal world then matches your outer world. And then your feelings and your thoughts and your wants and needs are validated from the outside <laughs> in. Um, you learn to trust your reality on the inside and that's who you are as a person, your thoughts, your feelings, you know who you are. And then you're going to attract people that match that. There'll be a congruency between who you are and who you want to bring into your life. But on the other hand, if you come from a home where you're abused or shamed or made to feel invisible and feelings aren't validated or you're criticized, you totally distrust, you distrust your internal reality. You second guess yourself. And you often find with people that are love addicts, well, you know, I, I think he's a nice guy, but, I, you know, I'm not really sure, but he did this, but well, maybe he just did it this, this only, you know, it only hit me once or, you know, I'm using that as an extreme, extreme example, but you, you question yourself because you don't trust yourself. And then you're going to be more apt to pick people that are not trustworthy. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your experience. I was actually going to ask you about your own upbringing and what led you to study this 
And I appreciate your transparency because I think it's it's really important for people to see that many people who are experts are experts for a reason. I mean, I, I study this because of my own upbringing and my, um, my inability to have healthy relationships and not even know like what was my line in the sand with, okay, walk, get out, you yeah. know, thinking, oh, you know, this will change or, you know, we'll move the line a little bit more and we'll just kind of tolerate this a little well, bit that'll longer. Be, that'll for less when we have that empty hole and we have to learn to fill that hole up with whatever you need to fill it up with. But the most important thing is if you have early trauma, and that's why I started the, the interview saying, I really respect coaches and dating coaches. I'm a, I'm a therapist, I am a coach, but I, I mostly work in that field of trauma where I'm helping people unleash early trauma. So then they can go with someone like you and work with a dating coach and find healthy love. But first we got to release that trauma. And unfortunately, a lot of people, I just want to meet someone. I just want to meet someone. And they're not really willing to do the work, but I'm I guarantee you, if you don't discharge old trauma, um, it's just going to keep repeating itself. You're just going to keep repeating the cycle and you're always going to have to be with someone or, or you can end up being a love avoidant. You want, you don't, you can't even handle any relationship whatsoever. You can be, you can end up being on the other spectrum. So it's important really, you know, to be very discerning and work with a professional that really understands trauma. I so agree. I mean, often when I start working with somebody, we don't even get to the dating part until way down the road because we're realizing that their home relationships are not healthy. Their relationship with their children isn't healthy. Their parents, their work issues, you know, it's all, we, we don't just do certain behaviors in one place. It's usually something that we do in many areas of our life. And in order to have healthy relationships, we have to, again, as you say, start with ourselves. Definitely. Yeah. Such an important thing. And, and, you know, to me, like if somebody comes to me and says, just find me some, you know, just help me find love. I always say, it's not, it's not a one, two, three process that is a one size fits all. You know, everybody has a unique process of, that they have to go through depending on what their background is. So let's let's talk a little bit about, um, well, you know, you talked about trauma and I, I just want to talk a little bit about people whose trauma is a little bit less obvious because for a lot of people, it could be they moved a lot or they, you know, they had to constantly make new friends or somebody in the family was sick and you didn't get the attention you needed. So it's not always like abuse. There's little trauma and, and there's big trauma. So, right. But the, the effect in your body is the same. You know, when you've been through any kind of trauma, let's say you use little trauma, like being bullied, you had to go and fight, flight, or freeze. And that lives in your body until you release it. So there's no, the talking about it isn't going to work. It's about working through and getting the trauma out. So working in a way where you somatically get the energy out or the trauma energy out, or you do tapping, or you can get, you can do EMDR. I do somatic work. I do tapping work and I do polyvagal work, which is helping people learn to regulate themselves because part of the problem of, of having trauma is you, 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 it's just so you're so afraid to be alone. You, you, you know, you're, 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 you're not regulated. You know, you're just very um, anxious. Your, your stress hormone, hormones are all over the place. So I work with giving them tools to help self-soothe, 
to help them be with themselves, to be, to be able to stand in their ground, to be able to be present in their body. That's the most important thing. And once you learn how to do that, and, and you're absolutely right, it could be a little trauma or, or a big trauma, but all the same, it lives in people's bodies. And that's yeah. the truth, no matter how you look at it. Yeah. And I have another question. And so I love that you do somatic work. To me, this is, this is the key because so many people go to therapy for years and they talk their problems out and intellectually they know what they need to do. And they have this cognitive dissonance where they know what they need to do. And then it doesn't, doesn't work because they're not actually, they haven't actually done that somatic healing. You know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on people who just stick with with talk therapy. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, talk therapy alone will not work because that energy of that trauma will still live in your body. You know, my trauma was that early abandonment, feeling alone, feeling empty. And although I couldn't remember being a preemie, in my brain, my body remembered it. I mean, I could even watch, and this is gonna sound really crazy, but I can see a nurse dressed up in those old fashioned nursing hats and it has a complete effect on me because mm. those were the nurses that took care of me when I was a preemie. And it, it's just unbelievable yeah. how, how our, we can, we can't, we don't necessarily remember in our brain, but our body doesn't forget. I mean, some of the responses you can start to shake or, you know, you know, when you work with somebody this way, they, they have all kinds of ways they release energy. And once they release that energy, then they make room for, you know, space, the capacity to have healthy relationships. And like you said, it, there has to be a congruence. So if you're still all tied up in knots in your body, but you're out there dating, there's no congruence between what's happening on the inside and what's happening on the outside. So once you bring the two together, then you, you're, you can allow, you know, love to come your way. I mean, I still have issues maybe with friends or this or that, or somebody will uh, reject me or, or I'll have a client stop coming to see me, or, you know, little, it could be anything. But today I will notice it and then I, I can deal with it. I don't spin over it. I don't obsess over it. I don't beat myself up over it. There was a time in my life I couldn't sit with those kind of uncomfortable feelings of abandonment or rejection. So it's really amazing how when you do this work, you can still feel uncomfortable, but you make friends with that discomfort and you go, okay, this is uncomfortable, but I'm okay. I'm okay in this very moment, I'm okay. So I love that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people think it's like, you're done, you're healed. You'll never feel these feelings again. And this is something I also tell clients all the time. These are tools that help you recover quicker. You you're have the awareness and you don't sit in rumination or shut down or spiral out. And you see it, especially with people with anxious attachment who who just, I had a client um, who would immediately go to abandonment when she didn't hear from the guy she had been dating for a while, who never gave her anything to worry about. He was the most secure, securely attached man she had ever dated. And so she had, I had taught her many, many ways to deal with her anxiety, but she would sometimes email me, you know, like, oh my God, I'm, I, he, I haven't heard from him in three hours. But then she learned to, you know, what can I do instead? What can I, I know he's, you know, I can talk to him about it. I can, I can ask him to call me tonight. I can reach out to him. I don't have to stay in this place of spiraling. You can self-soothe, learn to. And self-soothe. 
So she does tapping. She, she definitely has a lot of, she goes for a walk. She calls a friend. There's, there's so many things we can do. Mindfulness right, because is. Because otherwise she'll end up sabotaging. If you don't do this work and yep. you don't, don't use these tools, you'll end up, you know, and you'll end up calling the guy obsessively. You'll, you'll, you'll push a guy, you'll push, it could be a girl, woman too. I mean, you're, you're going to push the person away. Exactly. Your, your worst fear will come to pass if you, if you don't allow yourself to sit in the discomfort and find ways to, to be okay and learn how to regulate your nervous system. Yeah. So important. The self-soothing piece. I mean, I think the greatest thing you can teach a child is how to self-soothe, what to do so that you're not fixing everything. If you're an over overly protective parent, or if you're neglecting, you know, I've had clients who were sent to their room to work out their feelings and never were allowed to talk about emotions. And so that has a huge effect on how we are in our romantic relationships. We just, we repeat what we know. We tend to repeat what is comfortable. You know, what was comfortable for me was maybe somebody unavailable, somebody that kind of, you know, the bad boy kind of thing, not exactly, but you know, this was a type that I had and it was just based on something that was just a fantasy of what I thought I wanted rather than really knowing who the person is. And, um, you know, once you do this work, you pick from a much healthier place. You're not picking from old childhood wounds because nobody can fix your childhood wounds. No one but you. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. What was your healing process? Well, I hired um, a really fantastic therapist that did somatic work, and then I learned how to do somatic work. So I took some classes and courses, Uh, but working with this therapist was probably the best thing I could do to heal because I finally was able to sit in my discomfort and learn how to self-regulate without spinning out of control every time I was not in a relationship. I learned to be not in a relationship and be really okay with that. Um, So that was huge, hiring a therapist and then getting into a really great... um, support group, which is something that I run, a support group with other people that deal with feelings like this, that deal with love addiction issues, that deal with codependency, that have picked toxic relationships. And being in this kind of support setting um, was just one of the best things I could do because then I didn't feel like I was alone. I mean, all my life, I was very resourceful. When I was a single mother, I joined a single parent group. When I was married to an alcoholic, I I went into an Al-Anon program. I mean, I was always very resourceful. And so when I was dealing with this codependency and love addiction stuff and picking the same kind of people over and over again, I said, I got to find myself some kind of support group. And so that's when I got into a support group, found myself a great trauma therapist because I'd had talk therapy before and I was a therapist myself, but I still hadn't done the trauma piece. And once I did that, I healed and I, it's a continually, it's con- I continue to heal. It's a process. It's never over. I'm a constant work in progress. And, um, and then I just love the work I do with others, helping them find their way. Yeah, community work is so important. I, I'm in the middle of teaching my communications course. 
And so much of the communication issues we have stem from the same issues that you're talking about. And over and over at the end of every life coaching session, the group is like, oh my God, did we grow up in the same house? Did we, you know, you guys, did we have the same marriage? Did we? And <clears throat> there's something so comforting in knowing that you're not alone and that Absolutely. somebody else has experienced what you have. I love that. So true. Yeah. So let's talk about some signs of toxic relationships, because I think a lot of people dismiss them. They shove them under the rug. The rug becomes very lumpy. How, do, how can people identify if they are in a toxic relationship? So unhealthy relationships are usually characterized by constant worry about that partner. You're always obsessing. So it's a toxic sign if you, your partner, you know, altering your life habits and needs just to be with that other person. You're kind of giving up who you are to be with that person. And this can lead to one of the signs of a toxic relationship, you know, obsessing about every little detail for fear you might lose that person. Um, walking on eggshells, you know, having a lot of fights that, that drain you, that you're exhausted, um, wondering, should I have said that? Should, have I, should I ask for that? You know, what will happen if I tell them that? Always worrying about what's next. You're always trying to anticipate what they might think or say so you don't trigger a fight. You know, feeling guilty for everything. When you're in a toxic relationship, you, you feel like you are the guilty one. Um, you know, you know you're with a toxic person when you're always taking responsibility. You're always taking the blame because usually toxic individuals or narcissists, let's say, they're always right and you're always wrong. And so if the finger's always being pointed at you, there, there's something going on for sure. A lot of fighting, um, you know, just constant drama and trauma, and you're just exhausted, manipulating and controlling behaviors. Um, you don't feel like you can really be yourself. Um, they're always trying to tell you what to, you know, they can tell you things like what to wear, how to dress, how to do your hair, what to do for a living. But in healthy relationships, people make, make decisions together. Um, in healthy relationships, you're in charge of your own life and choices related to your own identity. And it could be yelling and insulting and devaluing and discarding. Um, you're, you know, they're repeatedly raising their voice. Physical injuries, you know, we know all about toxic, uh, excuse me, domestic violence. Disrespect, you know, um, feeling like, you know, they don't respect you. Uh, maybe they forget important events or information related to you. Dishonesty and betrayal and cheating, that those are definitely signs of a toxic relationship. And then, you know, your own lack of self-care. You stop taking care of your appearance. You neglect your mental and your physical health. You just, you let go of all your self-care habits, you know, to be in this relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I recognize many of those signs, unfortunately. And, um, you know, it's interesting, even in the same family, people can have different experiences and, come out really recognizing toxic relationships and some people don't. So, you know, how does that happen where, you know, somebody comes out of the same family and is only attracted to narcissists, codependents, and the other one is like totally resilient and healthy? Well, they might've had a different relationship with the parent, but I, I really, you know, sometimes it's just someone else has that resilience. They just, they just have more logic. They're less emotional. They're less sensitive. You know, I don't like to use sensitive because I don't, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but and the, the point is you can be healthy and still pick a toxic person. It goes the other way too. Like a lot of people think, well, I came from a great 
childhood. Like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. I still ended up with a narcissist because anybody can be a loving, compassionate, kind individual, and then end up in just a really horrible relationship because toxic individuals, they're really good. They're predators and they know how to find that person, um, that sensitive, empathic, loving, compassionate person. So it can be either you come from a healthy childhood, you can come from a dysfunctional childhood. Generally, you come from a dysfunctional childhood to end up in a dysfunctional adult relationship, but it can happen to, to anybody, truly. Yeah, I've, I've had many people go, how did that happen? I came from a healthy family. My parents love me. And I remember I had one client who did come from a loving home, but because her mother was ill when she was young, she was always expected to get great grades and to stay kind of quiet and suppress her personality to, you know, accommodate her family who was loving. And she ended up choosing a narcissistic husband because she was so used to tamping down her personality. And, and so that happened with me. I ended up with an alcoholic and there really was no alcoholism in my family. My mother later became a heavy drinker, but mm. you know, it had nothing to do with coming from an alcoholic home. I just ended up with an alcoholic. You know, I didn't know much about the disease. I was, I just started graduate school and, you know, he was sober and I thought, Oh, you know, he'll stay sober. I, I knew nothing about relapse. I knew nothing about anything. And that's why, that's why my, my whole mission in life is for people not to feel ashamed, not to blame themselves. There are reasons where you are. I mean, I hate, one thing I hate to see more than anything <clears throat> is someone who has so much regret. I mean, listen, I've been married multiple times. Um, I was a single mother, probably put my daughter through a lot. She turned out great. I have two wonderful grandchildren. I try not to live in the regret. Um, I don't always love where I am at this age. I would have, you know, probably loved to have been partnered up with somebody by now, but I love my life. I love me. And I don't, I try not to live in regret and it can happen at any time where you meet the right person. And it only takes one person. It's true. And I'm also single right now. And people say to me, well, why should I hire you if you're single? And I say, because I have done so much healing that I am super clear about who would be a good partner and I show up in a healthy way and I love my life too. I mean, I, I really have no regrets and I think that's, that's success. Success doesn't just look like being happily coupled. It looks well, like at our age, I think we're probably, I don't know if you're younger, older than me, maybe we're similar ages, but we have to open up the box a little. I think that a lot of women, not that I'm not saying settle, but I think sometimes we have very old fashioned ideas of what we're looking for. Um, the whole, you know, someone's going to sweep me off my feet, take care of me. Um, someone that's going to have, you know, sort of like the shades of gray kind of fantasy. I mean, I think women have still, you know, even in 2022 live in a lot of delusion. And I've noticed that when I open up my box a little bit, I say, you know, I don't have to maybe have this, but sure. I, I, I don't settle for things that are not value driven. Like if I have to have similar values to somebody, but I open my box just a little bit and see what's out there. And in fact, I've met younger guys. Um, I've met guys that don't live in my state. In fact, I'm dating somebody right now that lives outside of, um, out of, outside of where I live. And I'm just open. I'm open. And I think that's another aspect, which is a whole other conversation, <laughs> you know, but I think we have to really start looking at what are these old stories and, and limiting beliefs that have kept us picking the same idea of what we think we need. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think one of the beautiful things about aging is if we're learning as we grow, hopefully, that we can open that box because the bottom line is not geography or height or weight or even religion for the most part for most people at this point it's you're not raising a family anymore with somebody what are the values that bring you together and are you having fun are you enjoying their company so we you know it can look in so many different ways which include living apart together uh you know seeing each other whenever having whatever kind of relationship you design right right I, I think that's one of the best parts of aging, personally. Yeah, I, I have a friend and um, her whole thing is, you know, he's got to be Prince Charming and he's got to take care of me. He's got to pay for every meal when we go out. And meanwhile, you know, she's at an age where a lot of men are, are on fixed income. And so, you know, if she's not willing to say, okay, I can pay once in a while, you know, I don't mind, you know, or, or having a relationship where we both chip in it's probably going to limit her in my opinion. I really do hope she finds what she's looking for, but I think it's going to be harder when you limit yourself that way. I totally agree. And I, this topic comes up all the time. And I think what, what I try to encourage women to do is to really look at what's underneath. Like, why is it important for him to pay for you? Why is it important for you to be with somebody taller or younger or older or this or that? And when you really find the why, you can usually open up your preferences and realize that it's really not about the money. It's about respect. It's about feeling cared for. And that could look a different way than him paying for you every time, right? Got it. Good advice, Sandy. <laughs> Thanks. So let's talk about overcoming addiction to toxic relationships. Um, you talked about some ways of healing. You talked about tapping and self-regulation and self-soothing and somatic work. What other ways can we overcome our addiction to toxic relationships? Well, first of all, just being on this show, listening to you and I have a conversation, listening to your podcast, maybe checking out mine, The Love Fix, you're already starting the process, right? Um, when you start looking at every relationship that enters your life as an opportunity to heal and grow, and this is how you're going to become more aware and more conscious, it's going to take away the blame and the shame. You're going to start focusing from the um, outside in, you know, every relationship manifested in our lives is a absolute mirror to the relationship we have to ourselves so if we're attracting toxic relationships I and mean, this is the law of attraction we attract what we are so if we're attracting toxic relationships or continue nurturing our addictions to them it's because first and foremost we have a toxic relationship with ourselves so we have to stop being addicted um we have to just change our patterns, change, change our patterns, what we've been doing, really look at um, some of those limiting beliefs, start looking at those shadow sides of yourself, uh, be aware that healing and addictive toxic relationship with ourselves doesn't happen overnight, it's a process, um, accept and welcome the process, welcome that it's a constant work in progress, you're constantly uncovering and resolving toxic childhood experiences and conditioning, um, Start building connections with your healthy self. Like we talked about, you have to have an intimate relationship with yourself. And that starts with your spiritual self, your emotional self, your physical self, your cognitive self, you know, find the light within um, that that's really where it starts. We need to recondition ourselves and really become addicted to that, to our healthy self. 
who is already amazing and valuable and vibrant and colorful and strong. Well, that is a fabulous uh, message to end on. Sherry, you are an inspiration, how you have changed your life, healed yourself and continue to heal others is the ultimate. And I have a lot of admiration for the work you do. Um, and I'd love to have you share, you have a, a couple of free offers. Well, first of all, Sandy, thank you for having me on your show and for giving me this platform to talk about some of the stuff that I can offer. Um, I have my book, Love Smacked, which is on Amazon, which is about codependent love addicted relationships. And then I have a free ebook on obsessive partners, uh, excuse me, obsessive love and narcissistic partners. And that's a free ebook that people can pick up. It comes with a quiz to see if you are a love addict. And then I have a dollar trial for my membership. So membership is a group coaching program. I, I come on once a month with my group. I have all kinds of audio and lessons in there and it's, they can check it out for a dollar and then it's $27 a month. And it's, um, it's just a treasure trove of amazing resources and information. And then if they just really want to do more healing work in terms of trauma, they can always reach me at sherrygaba.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's thank a really you. free offers, low cost offers to get your, get your process going because the first step is often the hardest, but you're making it easy. So I hope people do take advantage of checking out what you have to offer. And um, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thanks everybody for listening today. If you love our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot to the success of our show, the continued success. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.